everyone, and welcome to Traceability Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Edwards, and today I feel so fortunate to have Marcus Yuriking with us from Calgary. Marcus is a project manager, business analyst, mentor, speaker, writer, and career coach. And Marcus, thank you so much for being with us today. You're very much welcome. So how we usually start out here is uh, we kind of go back to the very beginning of your career and, and ask, how did you get your start in, in business analysis and project management? Well, I guess you could say I stumbled upon the BA role rather semi-accidentally, like, like a few BAs and NPMs do. But in the beginning, uh, let me see, becoming a BA really wasn't intentional from the beginning, from the very beginning, it, it became that way over time. And there was just sort of this gradual move into the role using, I think all along I've been using business analysis skills that have just been developed over time. So initially, initially I had this passion at university to become an English teacher of all things. And so I, that's why my, my BA degree is in English because that's what I went to study. Now, my, my last year of university, uh, the internet was was up and coming, so I hopped on I hopped on the bandwagon, so to speak, and I started learning coding, like uh, internet uh, coding, web developing, uh, web, web development, and that started at the university computer uh, computer club. I was part of a university computer club, and that's kind of what what sparked the interest. And after university, I started working for a very small upstart company uh, within the city that I that I uh, lived lived in. And it was, a, it was a basic help desk support type of job. Now, afterwards, I, I slowly moved into application support. And I think, I think after doing that, it's, it sort of helped me feel a bit more comfortable, realizing that this is kind of, this is kind of what I wanted to do. And, and uh, my last year of university, I had a bit of a web development job on campus as well. So that, that's, that sort of helped, it, helped the impetus as well. Now, uh, after a few months working with this particular company out, outside of university, I decided I was going to go to college because I already had a, a degree and I really didn't want to do a master's degree. So I thought, let me go to college. So I went off, I went off to Seneca College in Toronto and I studied computer networking. It was, a, it was supposed to be a two-year program. And, you know, after my first year of college, what do I do? I end up getting a job with IBM. Ha ha, the big blue. Now, this is long before Google and long before uh, um, Facebook and all these guys never existed. The biggest of the biggest, that was IBM, Dell, maybe. And so here I was working with the biggest of the biggest. So I felt on cloud nine. They hired me initially as a web developer slash kind of business analyst type of thing. And I must confess, I've never looked back since. I've been fully employed uh, practically every day since then. Now, I should mention that my earlier jobs didn't really necessarily have the, the title of business analyst, but many of the skill sets we had to use were business analysis skills, skill sets. And, and I, I think there was a lot of growing, obviously, from that point onward. And I found that I was a pretty good business analyst, and mainly because of two things. One, I think I was pretty good at communicating. <laughs> there was, this English degree was coming in handy. And also, I think I was able to be that conduit. This enabled this that communication skill allowed me to be this good conduit between the end users of technology and the developers. You know those techie guys. I could kind of speak a bit of both languages, so I could be that intermediary between the two, which is really I think at the core of 
of what a BA is all about, right? Um, yeah, so so that so the passion for for becoming a business analyst has sort of just continued to grow since then. And, and many many years later, project management came into it. Um, reason being, I had worked with project managers in, in different projects along the years, and I felt that uh, that I wanted to to grow into and to embrace something something else. So so that it, being a project manager seemed just like a natural fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as you say, many BAs sort of have a, a way of becoming business analysts because it's sort of in front of them, and they there's something in their personality that uh, sort of they gravitate to it, sort of some, some natural gift uh, or, or something, um, yours being communication. Was there anything else as far as software and projects and that really sort of lit something up in you? I think, I think it was the internet. You know, it was, it was the onslaught of the internet because prior to the internet, those computer languages that you were learning, if you wanted to go into IT, it was like Fortran, COBOL, all this really, really deep stuff. You had to be a, a hardcore techie to do that stuff. But that wasn't really my, my focal point. I needed that, I needed that um, breadth to be able to put one foot on, the, on some techie stuff and one foot on the, on the communication side. And when the internet came in, you see, learning things like HTML and CGI and Java didn't seem as, I mean, it was still complex, but it wasn't as complex as Fortran or Cobalt, you know, those assembler. I mean, nobody uses these languages anymore. But at the time, at the time, I'd spend 16 hours a day. You know, one summer, I couldn't find a summer job as a student. I spent 16 hours a day teaching myself Java, HTML, and, and, and uh, CGI and all that kind of stuff. So I think that was also the interest in it. You know, being able to say, how is a graphic rendered? What does a GIF mean? What's a JPEG? Dealing with millions of colors versus $256. All this kind of stuff intrigued me. I mean, it seems like a thing in the past. We don't really think about these things anymore. But at that time, I mean, this was really up and coming, you know. So I think it was the interest in technology, uh, the fact that very few people had Internet cards built into their laptops or their desktops. Desktops were the big thing. And, and so one of the companies I worked for, it was, it was at, as I said, it was a help desk, helping people troubleshoot some of these internet technical issues, which, again, it's uh, something nobody really worries about these days. But all this stuff intrigued me, fiber optic cabling, you know, how do you get cables into a house and so on and so forth. So I, I was intrigued, I think. And, of course, the Macintosh uh, was, was up and coming. Many people had Macs that weren't compatible with, with the internet, uh, but the PCs, you could just slip in a card, uh, what they call PCMIA cards or ISA, ISA cards or something like that. So they were a bit more scalable, I guess. And uh, then, of course, Macs became bigger and better. And uh, that just not just the physical attraction of the Mac, but, but all the sophisticated things it could do. It was a far cry from what I had learned as a kid using Mac Paint or Mac Draw and all that basic stuff. Now it was they were larger screens. They're all in color. And, uh, and that, you know, the... the, the Programs are much more sophisticated, so all this all this technology stuff seemed intriguing to me. I like that. That's what made it attractive, I guess, too. You know that that's interesting. I never sort of looked at it that way. Um, you know, I personally did not have any technology interest coming up in school and and that kind of thing. There really weren't computer classes. Computers were not ubiquitous in homes and and that kind of thing. And so I. I wonder if to some extent sort of the cool things that started happening with technology were one of the things that sort of continued to to kind of keep me there 
just as as technology advanced and and uh, got more exciting and stuff. So I know. So cool stuff. So as uh, your BA and uh, was there something sort of going on with you where you wanted to make the leap to project management? Was there any dissatisfaction with business analysis or was no, sort of no. I think it was just a growth process. You get to a point where you're doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, you, you grow, you grow, you grow, and then you realize, you know, I'm kind of, I kind of want to change. So that was, that was part of it. And also I think as a business analyst, you're really just involved with uh, a sort of a, I don't want to use the word silo, but you've got your own little boundaries. You know, you don't have to worry about the strategy. You don't have to worry about pre-project planning. Not, not so much. You, maybe you're not even writing business cases. You know, you're not, not involved with the charter you're not involved with executives. And so to get to that level, you either become this involved senior business analyst or a full-fledged project manager where you are you can see now everything and everyone. You're not just working on your own little job. You need to see all the other jobs. You need to see what quality assurance is doing. And this, in these days, you know what the product owner is doing if you're in Agile or Scrum or what the product manager is doing. And uh, so, and of course, you have to deal maybe with a project management office, you know. So, so there's all these different facets that I think it's like being in a kitchen as a cook or being a conductor of an orchestra. You're not just playing one instrument. You have to know and listen to all the other instruments to be able to bring everyone cohesively together to uh, to create that goal or that objective of your project, which I thought was a, it's a different step. You know, it's a, it's a much more mature, mature step, I think, in one's career. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I have felt some of the, the same things um, where you get to a point where you just think, I kind of am tired of working on tactical things, doing the same thing over again. And uh, I, I want to have a, a larger view. What are maybe some some tips that, that you would give to other um, folks who may be kind of feeling that? And, and what are some things they could be looking for or, or what are some um, tips for for further discovery for them? I think when when you're working as a business analyst, you have to be able to understand that uh, how to write, ask the right questions. You know, as as a project manager, you're having other people tell you what it is they do, and you're prioritizing those tasks and so on. But as a business analyst, you're getting deeper into into the into the woods, so to speak. You, you have to ask, well, like with any career, I guess you have to ask yourself, you know, do I need to reevaluate my skills at this particular stage? Do I need a course or certificate to upgrade my skills? So I think as a BA, you really have to ask yourself, if I'm going to become a greater BA, uh, if I don't want to have this analysis paralysis sort of thing, <laughs> maybe I should, maybe it's time to, to reevaluate my skills. Maybe I need a certificate. Maybe I need to go back to university. Maybe I need a uh, to upgrade my skills somehow. Maybe your employer will allow you. So, I mean, that, that's that's one key. Uh, I think you have to constantly be asking yourselves, yourself, uh, when I'm on a project, are we aligned to the, to the strategic objectives of a company? That type of thing. Uh, you might, because the one big thing I think a lot of BAs get is pushback. You know, they, they, they go to study all these uh, all these rules about how to become a, a great BA, you get into a project and you find nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody wants my opinions. We're not following the rules that I studied at school. What's going on? Well, there, there, now there's now there's a fancy point that maybe you didn't learn in school. Uh, 
Are you aligning your ideas, your questions to your stakeholders? Do all this? Are you appealing to your stakeholders? Really, you know, are you aligning your ideas to the strategic objectives of the company? And that's kind of maybe you're maybe you're saying to yourself, "Well, that's another thing too is the blame game. Don't don't play the blame game. Uh, I'm not responsible for this. Management won't approve this document. I can't get funding for that." <laughs> you know, and and the real the only reason why is because maybe you're not. Maybe you need to seek some degree of clarity of purpose on your project. You know, maybe you need to need to better understand uh, your business area. So I'd say as a BA, try and understand uh, the organization, try and understand the the business area of that you're working in. I mean, what are their objectives, and are you linking? I mean, is it is it for profit? Is it legal or regulatory requirements? Is it innovation? Is it ROI? Well, what's what are the important drivers? for the decision makers, you know, for those stakeholders, try and find out what those are. I think if you incorporate those into your um, initiatives, then, then I think you have an easier way of getting buy-in. Make sure you find a champion for your cause, (laughs) you know, someone who can fight for your, and all of a sudden when, when, when you start communicating in a more effective way, giving them what they want, voila, all of a sudden, you get people on your side. Hmm, yeah. And I think that's a skill that takes a while. Uh, a lot of new BAs may, yeah. not, may not realize that. I, I think it takes a certain degree of maturity in a, in a career, emotional and, and a political. Mm, and that's a the project, key. Project maturity. <laughs> that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know what, what I found as a BA? was all about clearly accountabilities, boundaries mm-hmm. and accountabilities. You might say, I'm going to fix everything now. Yeah. <laughs> I know how it's done. Hey, guess what, guys? We're going to do it this way. Yeah, right. See where that takes you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you learn, you live and learn, you know? What are you going to do? Right, right. So, so speaking of, of sort of finding champions, Mentoring is is a big thing these days, um, being mentors and being mentored. What was it like for you trying to find mentoring in, in your career? And, it, and is that something that um, helped you grow your career more successfully? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, you've always got to get mentors. And some might be formal, some might be informal, some might be uh, coworkers, right? I think, I think a lot of that, that's sort of the informal type. I've learned a lot from coworkers, and that, then there's, there's been the more formal mentors. But I think in my time, a lot of a lot of the learning came from uh, informal, you know, from the the coworkers themselves. Uh, I think you, you learn a few key things. So let me uh, let me give you an example. Changes everywhere, and you might think it's automatic that when you're in IT, just you automatically adapt to change. But it's not necessarily the case. A lot of people in any job kind of you know, they, they get comfortable, right? And I've asked the question to even coworkers, hey, you're really good at programming. Why don't you take yourself further? And they said, well, because I'm comfortable here. Well, that's that's not the word you want to hear in IT. Uh, learn to adapt, learn to adapt to change. So I think, you know, being a, and I know I'm not just talking about change management. You know, I'm, I'm talking about being open to ideas from other people. So, so that's the key. Ch- changes everywhere, learn to adapt. Um, that's going to be the key to success. Uh, so that's one key thing I've learned from from mentors. The other is knowing that there's always different alternatives to solve a problem. 
And what I mean by that is it's not just you that's going to be trying to solve the problem. It's you and a group of other people. And again, you've got to be open to engaging with those people to try and solve problems. So that's that's the second one. Because I think a lot of BAs are introverts. I certainly am a bit. And I was even more so. And I want to just be in a small room and solve the problem myself. And you can't, I don't think that's going to work in a, in a corporate environment. If you're a consultant, maybe on your own. But even then, you, you still have to engage with other people. So uh, knowing that there's different solutions to a problem and knowing that you have to, uh, not just you who's solving it, other people are too. Uh, the third thing, third thing I've learned from mentors, I think, is that there's always a way to excel and grow. Whether that is linearly or uh, you know, laterally or vertically, I guess, because a lot of people think I'm just going to grow upward, but not necessarily. You can grow. You can grow. Uh, I think on a, on a lateral, in a lateral way too. Uh, so that's the third. The fourth thing is surround yourself with people who will motivate and inspire you to become a better ver- version of yourself. And I say that because there's a lot of naysayers out there. And it doesn't matter where you work, there's naysayers. Oh, you know, he took more vacation than I did. You know, what the hell do you know? Or whatever. And so uh, try to ignore them. And the best way to ignore them is to put yourself in and around people who will motivate you and and keep you moving uh, to become bigger and better. So that's the fourth thing. Fifth thing, you got to be a lifelong learner. And I mean, here I am, as old as I am, and I'm taking an MBA in IT who would have thought, but you, you know, you got to keep doing it because things, especially in IT, things change so frequently, right? And I would, I would say the last, but not least, the last would be learn to give back to your community. And I say this wholeheartedly because you get to a certain point where you're more or less established and you want to be able to help those who are in need. And what I mean uh, is something like a scholarship fund. So what I did at uh, Seneca College, uh, where I went, and McMaster University, my alma mater, I opened up a scholarship. And I mean, it's not a lot of money, but, you know, each year I, I help to fund it. And I get letters. In fact, I just received last week a thank you letter from one of the recipients of, of the scholarship. So it's nice to, to feel that you're helping other people because you know how tough it was when you, when you came up, right? So I think these are some things that I learned from, from mentors of mine. I definitely agree on all of those points, and there's so much to unpack there. Going back to your first point about, you know, how we can we can often be introverts, and and you know, it occurs to me that when you and I started out as BAs, we were alone in a cubicle somewhere writing these big, enormous documents and designing all these all these things that we thought were so cool, and. Uh, but the world is not like that anymore. And so um, you bring up a great point there, uh, especially in companies, but especially as we are now more than ever working in agile style environments, um, we need to be so much more collaborative with people. Can you maybe provide some tips on ways to engage in an agile team when we may be a little, little more introverted and a little less thrilled to swarm. You know, you know what I think. Well, first of all, I haven't seen 100% agile. I've usually seen hybrid. 
So, so, so there's a bit of a mix of both, uh, waterfall and and uh, agile or Scrum or Kanban, whatever it be. And I think that agile is sort of just um, a miniaturized version of your waterfall. Uh, some people might tell me that I'm wrong about that, but essentially, instead of writing a large document, uh, say a business review document, it's, it's smaller now. Uh, and it's just the points that you need to be able to solve within the next two weeks, that type of thing, right? Or a month or however long your sprint is. And yes, you're engaging with people and you're testing, but you're doing pretty much the same things you did. You're just more focused. You're more concentrated. So there might be a time when, yeah, you can go into your cubicle <laughs> for a few minutes, a few minutes, not a few days, a few minutes. And actually, that brings me to a funny point. I remember working at IBM and I saw someone in the cubicle and they said they had been in that cubicle for 11 years. I thought, oh, my God. But yeah, I don't think I don't think you ever see that. I don't think you ever see that again. But uh, but anyway, so I'd say I'd say you have to build trust, build trust between not just your coworkers but your stakeholders, right? And there, there's a few ways you can do that. But I think you can start off by giving short-term uh, results, results in the short term for those for those quick wins. You know, to gain that trust slowly over time, instead of waiting uh, to be able to give something to someone. All at once, and in an agile environment, it's even easier to do that because you have to. You have to come up with short wins, right? Um, so I think it just agile has just made it easier to do that. And uh, the reason why you want to build this trust is because, or create this trust, is because it, it builds sort of meaningful engagements, right? It enables you to get things done so much more efficiently, so much more quickly. And I think also try to um, identify those stakeholders early on in the project. Get the stakeholders to start talking to one another. And, and this, these, two, these two things, get them involved early, get them talking, enables you to resolve issues early in the project instead of waiting until it's too late. So, so there's a, I think uh, also you have to learn to listen. We've got two ears and one mouth. So that means listen more, and talk less. Although now I'm I'm talking more, but <laughs> in, a, in a in a work environment, I'd say you know listen more and then, and then talk because then you can start to figure out who does what, where, why, and how uh, through listening. You, you you don't want you don't need to ask so many questions in the beginning. Manage expectations. And what I mean by that is clarify, you know, clarify throughout the project. Clarify these expectations throughout the project just so there's no misunderstanding, because th this is what can, can cause problems later on. And uh, I'd say communicate. Communicate with your stakeholders in different ways. What I mean by this, there's different channels of communication. What I mean by this is some stakeholders might prefer email. Some stakeholders might prefer a phone call. Some pre might prefer face-to-face. -face. Some prefer, might prefer more details than others understand how to get your point across to your stakeholder in, in the best way possible in the, in the way that they prefer, not the way that you prefer. Right. Uh, so I think these are some ways that you can engage stakeholders. You know, the, the uh, these tactics really sort of help you to safely engage them. You know, some, some stakeholders or even managers might be more litigious. They might want to fine tooth comb uh, others might be, maybe your manager is more a micromanager, who knows. <laughs> but in order to, when you start building this degree of trust, 
I think they tend to lay back a bit and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Marcus is a go-to guy. Let's go ask him. And just just leave him for a day or so. He'll figure it out because he usually does, you know. Um, so I think, I think you want to build that trust. And, and you want them to give you some degree of latitude to do what it is you need to do in the time you need to get it done. Uh, so I think that th- those are a few ways, but you gotta, you gotta build that. You gotta build those relationships between your, with your stakeholders or else yeah, nothing will, nothing will get done on the project. It occurs to me, um, maybe a little tip for folks out there as we are doing our stakeholder analysis, uh, as, as BAs, we often are leaving it to the racy matrix with our stakeholder analysis, but you bring up a great point about there are other things we should include in our stakeholder analysis, such as what's your communication um, preference, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I, I think a, a great point there. So back to um, folks that inspire us. I, I find that very interesting because I think uh, often that we miss opportunities to uh, allow people to inspire us. And it occurs to me that, you know, I participated in an employee resource group this week, a women in tech event. And uh, it was very, I found that to be very inspiring. Um, But I think, uh, especially as we're introverted, uh, sometimes as BAs, that we may think we don't need to sort of be part of the ERG, a a part of uh, group events and and, uh, be putting ourselves out there. And uh, what are maybe some additional things uh, you would recommend as, as far as as um, putting ourselves in position to be inspired? Sometimes uh, join in some activities that your office might have. I was always in the habit of saying, absolutely no, that's not for me. But, you know, that's all part of being uh, out, coming out of your shell. Uh, so you don't have to be introverted all the time. And if you engage with people, even at the getting your coffee, so to speak, uh, that's some ways that you can, those are some ways that you can uh, create that relationship so that when you need something from someone, it'll, it'll be pretty easy to get it. In fact, sometimes they may even just give you stuff without you asking. And that makes it even easier. You know, how many times, just as an example, how many times have you had, say, a contractor come into the office and decide to create a meeting with four or five people and says, well, listen, I'm here to create an as-is diagram, just as, a, as an argument. Uh, can you guys give me some information? And everyone at the table says, oh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask yourself, you don't know, then why are you working here? Obviously, they know. They're not going to give you the information because you haven't created a relationship with them yet. So <laughs> you want them to just easily say, oh, I'm kind of having this problem today. Oh, did you... Did you see about this business process diagram? Business process diagram? I thought I had to make one from scratch. Oh, no, we, we've got it. It's stored. Where is it? Oh, it's on the shared drive. Shared drive? No one told me there was a shared drive. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, you, you get to – so I, I'd say, yeah, I'd say if there are any small events, you know, get to, uh, get to know people. You can start, you can start with an icebreaker like, uh, hey, uh, you know, you Find out what they like. If they like golf or something, oh, how was the game yesterday? Or how was the golf game? Or did you play on the weekend? And just that little two, three minute of intros might just break that ice and they'll they'll bring down some barriers or borders and just start to talk to you. So, uh, so that was that's something I would say. I think that's uh, so important, uh, especially 
in the world that we have lived in for most of the last year, putting ourselves in position to be inspired has been even more important. And that has often meant being on Zoom a little longer than we might prefer <laughs> attending a few virtual uh, events and and that kind of thing. So um, maybe uh, what are some things you've done this last year to kind of um, network uh, a little um, more creatively? Well, let me see. I've been on LinkedIn much more frequently. I created a YouTube podcast channel. That's that's one way to get to know people. In fact, I'd, I'd highly recommend anyone to go ahead and do it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big thing. It could be a small thing. Uh, I create a meetup group, you know, create a meetup group. Uh, sometimes meetup groups, you have to pay for them. And if you don't want to, maybe your the organization you work with will pay for a meetup group if you can convince the powers that be that it's an important thing. Oh, it's COVID. This will give us an avenue to be able to communicate more effectively, you know, off hours or whatever on weekends. They might just pay whatever it is, $30 a month or whatever the fee is. Uh, I think another thing is I've gone out of my way to make sure that I get to know people. And a lot of that has come from meeting them online. Like I might say, oh, you know what? Like one fellow I, I talked, uh, I ended up calling up. I just said, listen, I want to talk about mentorship. Do you mind, you know, uh, contributing half an hour next week sometime to chat? And what do you know? That guy ended up on my YouTube channel. So uh, and before you know it, you know, you, you start creating. It's not to say that these things are going to create a job for you. It's not to say that these guys are going to put your name out further. But I think what it what it does is it helps you in, to engage a bit more than you would frequently do so in, in an office setting. Uh, it, it's a different way of communicating and it's still keeping those connections growing uh, over time because you never know. You never know when you're going to uh, need or want someone to help you out. Uh and as a good example, I've had people on my YouTube show that I went to elementary school with. That's how, that's how much I keep in contact with these guys. Folks I worked with in the past, like 15 years ago, folks I went to university with, I've had them on my show. So you never know. You never know who yeah, – keep those connections. Thank goodness. Thank goodness we've got the internet to help us do that. Imagine during the Spanish flu in 1918. How are you going to do that? You know, or, or when we had polio in the 1950s and you were stuck at home. How are you going to do that? Well, you know, technology has, has helped us once again. So I think there's there's always avenues. Oh, another thing is I'm going to say Toastmasters. I joined Toastmasters. I wasn't in that before. Yeah, I've been in it about a year. And same thing. I needed to talk to people. <laughs> so <laughs> join so just a little bit of tangent for a minute. How has Toastmasters been virtually? Um, because I have attended a, a few Toastmasters sessions myself before. And so how has that been um, virtually? When I, when I joined, they were already virtual. So I don't know, I don't know how it used to be before. I have the faintest clue. I just, just from stories that people tell me, but when I joined, <laughs> when I joined, there was like 10 or 20 people on this call and you realize after a while, there's a format, you know, there's a, there's a format, there's a structure in place. So everyone has a chance to speak, which is good. I mean, it's not everyone haphazardly speaking. And uh, I, I, I liked it so much that I ended up getting on calls in other parts of the world on Toastmasters in South Africa, Toastmasters in China, Toastmasters in Switzerland. I just couldn't stop. 
This became addictive. So that's the advantage. I made I made more friends around the world with Toastmasters than, than I did with LinkedIn. That is fantastic. My experience with Toastmasters here, um, you know, in person was everyone sort of gathered around a little table, you know, at a at a, someone's organization kind of thing. I am actually going to see I have been inspired. So I am going to check out Toastmasters again to see if there are perhaps some virtual uh, ones available. And uh, I have a couple of people to uh, reach out to that I know have been associated with it. So I'm writing a note to myself right now about Toastmasters. I was going to say, too, I went to it. I have heard in Lethbridge, Alberta, small little dinky town south of me. They had a fledging club. It was it was just it was floundering. It wasn't um, you know the, the members were leaving, so they need to get more members. And what did they do? They went around the world. Now most of their members are from all over the world on Toastmasters. I I went to a Toastmasters in Upper State New York. I attended one online, and where was there was some guy calling in from uh, was it Qatar or Dubai? There was another guy in Spain. I thought this is this is amazing. So I, I don't think that I don't well COVID obviously is a bad thing, but I think what it's done is it's it's I hate to say the word it's been an advantage. I think technology has been an advantage during um, a negative time in our life. And uh, I we had a there was a time when Toastmasters went hybrid in October November last year. So we were having half online and half in house. But it was it was hard. We had to wear masks. We had to be a certain distance from each other. It's just uh, and we couldn't have the podium. We had to have a computer with a camera. It just just wasn't the same. I was told as as pre pre COVID. So I think and I think then what happened in November is we had to go back to 100% online. So from what I've heard, some clubs will stay online. Some will go back in house after COVID's over, and and some might go the the hybrid way. But um, I think I think what it's done is it's brought, and not just with Toastmasters, with many things. Look at the online conferences, business analysis conferences now. Uh, there's one in Australia coming up, and it's it's now half online and half in house because no one's allowed into Australia or out of Australia right now. So for people who so for people who are in Australia, they can attend, but those who are out can can do presentations as well. And I and uh, I've gone to some uh, IIBA events or PMI events. And they said, you know, up until COVID, nobody would want to present at our event because they'd have to come in at five o'clock or six o'clock. It would be a one hour commute for them and another one hour commute home. Nobody wanted the hassle during traffic. Well, guess what? With COVID, we've got more people. We're now booked for the next six months. Uh, so in a sense, in a sense, you know, the the uh, this social media has brought people closer during trying times. That's that's what I feel. And that's the same with Toastmasters. It's, you know, right. Moral of the story there is there are plenty of ways to um, put yourself in a position to be inspired these days. It doesn't necessarily equate to being in person. uh, And there are lots of different formats. So as we uh, sort of begin to wrap up today, I just wanted to see what's coming up for you next. Uh, I know you've got your YouTube podcast channel. But what other uh, stuff is interesting and um, will you be exploring? I got a lot of stuff on the plate. I wanted to write a book. That's in the plate. 
I wanted to get a course online. It doesn't matter. It could be Coursera. It could be LinkedIn Learning. Something. I wanted to get one or two courses on. That's that's in the bonfire, so to speak. I'm finishing off my MBA. That's keeping me very busy. That's priority number one right now with, with work. And, uh, and Toastmasters, I just uh, got to be an area director for Toastmasters. So that, that'll keep me busy throughout the year as well. Uh, so I've, I've got a lot, I've got a lot on my plate in addition to the regular reading and keeping up and communicating on LinkedIn with people. So I, I think I have got my hands full for at least another year, at least. <laughs> Good. Cause we all need more to do. So uh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get too busy to the point where you're burnt out and you're sleeping yeah. I've been there, yeah. sleeping in until noon because uh-huh. I stayed up until five the morning before it just uses uh, you burn out, you know? Yeah. So what are some of your tips for avoiding burnout? Because I think, um, you know, even as we are all trying to hustle and, and put ourselves in good situations, um, yes, there could be potential for burnout. So what are some recommendations there? I hate to say it because I don't know. I don't obey all these rules, but I'll have to say, try, try to have a cutoff time. 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. is your cutoff time you're going to bed. And, you know, in my place, you may even hear some piano noise in the background. I don't know. I got piano playing in the middle of the day here, and it's just I can't think. I can't function. So sometimes you want to get up at 1 in the morning and just work until 9 or 10 in the morning, and that's your day, right? Uh, the problem is you've got meetings in the middle of the, of the day, too. So you have to, <laughs> to coordinate them. Have to coordinate. But I'd say have a cutoff time. Try and get. In my case, I need at least seven to eight hours sleep. If uh, otherwise, I feel I feel groggy, I feel tired, can't function. So get your sleep. Uh, have a cutoff time, and by all means, you know I've got my trusty grapefruit here. I've got my my trusty tea here. You can see the uh, Toastmasters cup. Uh, so yeah, I've got my hot water as well. So I lock myself in my room, and no one's coming in. I got my fruits here, so I've got all the food I need beside me. I shut my door and lock it. No one's coming in. No one's going out until I get my work done for the day. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's that would be that would be one way. <laughs> you make a, you make a good point though with some of the items that you have with you. Um, as far as overall physical health, doing what we need to do to maintain that, uh, fueling ourselves properly, and all of those good things. Uh, yeah, because you know the. Those young folks, they can go all day with no food. <laughs> if, I, if I don't get my nutrients, you know, I grow yeah. tired and miserable. I can't function. Right there with so. you. So, well, this has just been such a delight for me to be able to visit with you tonight. And, and thank you so much for your time. And uh, for those of you, our listeners, if there was anything in particular that resonated with you tonight or during this conversation, please shoot me an email. It's Tracy, T-R-A-C-I-E at traceabilitypodcast.com or look for me or for Marcus on LinkedIn and we'd be happy to connect with you and and uh, share some tips. So Marcus, thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, man. Fabulous show you've got. Keep up the good work. Glad you like it and uh, so grateful to have you today. <laughs>